Hello, everybody. Please pray with me. Lord God, we come to you today in faith to study your word. As we do so, let our guard fall a little. Let our minds open a little. And let our expectations rise a little. We pray you will bless our time together as an opportunity to further your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Please read with me our Romans verses for the day. We're in Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. Some of you are actually opening your Bible, so I'll give you a moment. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. In these verses, we are presented with two paths. They are clearly separate distinctly separate. We can follow the path of the Spirit or follow the carnal path of flesh and sin. It's fairly straightforward. When reading a passage like this in the midst of so much else that is presented in Romans or simply in Romans 8, I would tend to not give it much thought. I'd say, yeah, yeah, be spirity, right? Don't be fleshy. But there are some relevant fundamental concepts involved here. Uh, And actually being handed this text and required to work through it has been an enlightening experience. So let's remember where we are. Just prior to this, in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, Paul has stated that through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. Through Jesus' death, Sin was condemned so that sinners might be liberated from that threat. Just after this, in verses 9 and 10, Paul states, If the Spirit of God lives in you, that even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So, Jesus died to defeat sin, Spirit gives life, but there's still two paths. There's two categories. Walking according to (laughs) sorry, walking according to the flesh or the spirit. Uh, And each is characterized by a certain way of thinking. So it's an important distinction that uh, the passage does not actually address our actions, but our minds. It's saying if we live by the flesh, 
or by sin, that means we have our minds set on sin. If we are to live by the Spirit, we must, therefore, have our minds set on the Spirit. And even though we are presented with this separation, we know that we sin all the time. This was something that we discussed last year in Romans chapter 2. This was 14 months ago. I was wondering how far we'd made it through Romans since then. So here's, here's Romans 8. And then, let's see, 1, 2, there it is. So it does. It does. But so in 14 months, you know, I had, we have only flipped two pages, but I, I appreciate the, the vigor. Right. So, sin has been defeated, but it's still present. For us in this life, it's going to be there. So how then do we differentiate between these two paths? And how do we know which one we're walking? The key, to me, is in this term, governed. Showing up three times in verses 6 and 7. So what does it mean to be governed? I'll open it up to the congregation. Ruled. works. No arguments. What's that? Under authority. Okay. Guided by. (laughs) All All right. We should probably cut it off there, I think. I feel some tension. Uh, other, other translations use some other words, but NLV uses that term governed. Uh, I decided to ask uh, Merriam-Webster, and here's what I got. Govern, a verb. First definition, conduct the policy, actions, and affairs of a state, organization, or people. The second definition, control, influence, or regulate person, action, or course of events. So to control, influence, or regulate a person. So then the difference would be whether your mind is influenced and regulated by sin or by the spirit. Okay? So great, but how can we see that difference? Well, Paul says in verse 7, that the mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. Now, what can that look like? Now, please bear with me through this example, because I'm going to come across as something of a music snob. How many people have heard this song? Give Dave a second. That's sufficient. Thank you. All right. Most hands in the room went up. 
This is called We Are Young by the band Fun. It won Song of the Year two months ago at the Grammys. If you listen to the radio a lot, you may have gotten sick of hearing it. I don't listen to the radio much because I'm a snob. But I still listen to this song and this album an awful lot because I wanted to. I've been following this band and its lead singer, Nate Russ, for many years. I'm going to hit you with some New Hope trivia. When I gave the sermon, the weekend of women's retreat last year, 14 months ago, way back in Romans 2, I used a song from Fun's last album as my outro music. There are probably only three other people that knew that song. I chose it because of these words. How did I end up here? How did I find love and conquer all my fears? See, I made it out, out from under the sun. And the truth is that I feel better because I've forgiven everyone. So come on with me, sing along with me. Let the wind catch your feet. If you love somebody, you'd better let them know. Take your time coming home. I love listening to this band and Nate because of the mix of genuine, real-life lyrics, creative instrumentation, and energy. Listening to his music makes you feel good. Here are some other lyrics from the song The Gambler, also off their last album, told from his parents' point of view. And now he's turned into a man, though he thinks just like his mother. He believes we're all just lovers. He sees hope in everyone. And even though she moved away, we always get calls from our daughter. She has eyes just like her father's. They are blue when skies are gray. And just like him, she never stops, never takes the day for granted, works for everything that's handed to her, never once complains. These are such positive lyrics. They make me want to go out and be a better person. I built up a great deal of respect for this man, even though it's clear his worldview is governed by flesh. He had occasionally referenced God in lyrics, but in an offhanded or sarcastic way. For example, Holy Ghost, when do you come out to play? Because if the Lord is going to find me, he better start looking today. Anyway. I eagerly devoured this latest album when it came out. I was excited for him when it became so popular. His songs started showing up in commercials, and it made me smile, even if it made the hipster in me cringe a little bit. But as I listened to the album, I came across something tucked away back in track nine, something that kind of slapped me in the face. One of the great things about buying vinyl, besides the fact that it sounds better, is getting these large art inserts with the lyrics. Am I coming across as a snob yet? Okay. Anyway, here are his words. I happened to stumble upon a chapel last night, and I can't help but back up 
when I think of what happens inside. I've got friends locked in boxes. That's no way to live. What you're calling a sin isn't up to them. After all, I thought we were all your children. Here he's giving some observations and getting a little more direct. And truthfully, I struggle with some of the same things. So I empathize with him up to this point. The problem lies with what he says next. This is his conclusion. I will die for my own sins. Thanks a lot. We will rise up ourselves, thanks for nothing at all. So up off the ground, our forefathers are nothing but dust now. I put one foot in front of the other one. I don't need a new love or a new life, just a better place to die. first time I fully heard those lyrics, I thought, why'd you have to go and do that? We were getting along so well. I think this is the only time I've been truly disappointed by music. I was disappointed in Nate. I was disappointed in myself for looking to this person for wisdom. The mind governed by flesh turned hostile to God. To be honest, I felt a little betrayed. If you put your faith in the wrong place, you are going to be betrayed. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we only listen to Christian music. Honestly, that sounds awful to me. There is good Christian music, there just isn't much of it. When the next fun album comes out, I'll be first in line. But next time, I won't be disappointed. I will have my expectations in check. As we see here, a mind governed by sin, one that is hostile to God, does not mean that a person is completely evil, that they sin all the time. There is good in everything. What it means is that apart from Christ, we are in sin's grasp. With Christ, we are set free. We do not have to die for our own sins. We only die for them if we live for them. Now, I want to talk about a life governed by the Spirit some of the challenges that we're faced with. In our house church, we recently read a short book by Timothy Keller titled The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It is a very quick read, but proposes some powerful concepts on the way we view sin and our struggles with it. He states that a truly humble person, a gospel-humble person, is not self-loving or self-hating, but self-forgetting. 
There are two typical Christian responses to sin that still keep us from setting our minds on the Spirit. The first is to ignore it, to think little of it, to put ourselves above it. This is a danger of high self-esteem. This feeds our ego, but puffs us up with nothing of any substance. And it makes us fragile. The second response is to fixate on it, to fight sin. This is a danger of low self-esteem. We put ourselves down and never think we are good enough. That at least acknowledges sin, but still feeds our ego. It's still about us. It still gives sin power. It's a terribly devious trick of the enemy to make us think we are fighting the good fight, but in fact we are being dragged down. All the various sins we are attracted to, be it wealth or power or sex, are symptoms of the same root cause. Our natural interest self-gratification. We make idols of ourselves. This is why that path angers God. But we are totally unable to fix this on our own. Only the Spirit can rescue us. I'm going to read Romans 8, 5 through 8 again, this time from the message. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. To be self-forgetting is to empty yourself of yourself. And to make room to be filled with something of real substance. God's Son dealt with sin and death, and God's life-giving Spirit has replaced sin as the indwelling power within God's people. It's already there. If you believe, the power of the Spirit is there. All it needs is space to work. And this is our responsibility. One of the main reasons this is so difficult as a concept is that it runs counter to our culture. Here in the United States, and in this region in particular, we are not supposed to be humble. We are supposed to be self-loving. We are supposed to stand up for ourselves, build our resumes, list all our accomplishments on our annual review, get another certification, support sustainable farming, go to the gym, build sheds, and share it all on Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. We're supposed to have it together. We're supposed to be perfect and proud of it. 
I'm not on Facebook uh, very often, but when I am, it's usually because I thought of something especially clever to say. Look, everybody. Look at how clever I am and how cute my kids are, just so I can get some likes. I've actually had the thought, oh, nobody liked that picture I shared. I probably shouldn't have shared it. My reward system gets completely messed up. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't use social media. There are powerful positive uses. I sometimes learn something truly interesting that's happening in my friends' lives, or a shared concern about how we're raising our children, or even a thinly disguised plea for help. Those are better reasons to connect. That is a better reward system. Social media doesn't have to be all about us. It's just really easy to use it that way. So we're faced with these two paths we can walk. It's up to us. Christ's death and resurrection do not guarantee that we will live according to the Spirit. It simply makes it possible for us. So I'm going to say that again. Christ's death and resurrection do not guarantee that we will live by the Spirit. It simply makes it possible. Christ blazed a new trail. We have the responsibility to follow. Having our minds set on flesh is easy because it's natural. It's so hard to let go of ourselves. A mind governed by the Spirit requires trust. It's a trust fall. But we have to let go. Our time in this life, our time on this earth, is finite. For Christians, the question is not one of salvation. The question instead is one of quality of life. Living the full life that God intends requires us to tune in to the pushes and pulls and course corrections of the Spirit. We have to quiet ourselves to hear the whispers. There are more distractions than ever these days. These distractions are hostile to God because they keep us from him. We need a consistently renewed focus. And the Christian mind is the origin of where that renewal must take place. I think there's a clue to Nate Russ's state of mind. It's in the second track to this album, Some Nights, which is the title track. He says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, I'm still not sure what I stand for. What do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights, I don't know anymore. He doesn't know, so he defaults to sin and to himself we face the same danger. 
Knowing what you stand for makes a difference. As Christians, we have the privilege of knowing what to stand for. We can stand for the one true God. The God of peace and of love and of life everlasting. We do not always represent him well, and we cannot. However limited our own abilities may be, if you know what you stand for, it's going to influence and regulate your mind. When your mind is governed by the Spirit, we can make the shift from thinking and therefore acting for ourselves to thinking and acting for God. As it says in verse 8, those in the flesh cannot please God. It's not stated in these verses, but clearly implied that therefore those in the spirit can and do please God. A couple months ago, one of our guest speakers talked about asking his son what made people truly happy. I was curious to try this out for myself. So later that same day, I asked my four-year-old, what do you think makes people truly happy? She thought for a moment, then said, love. I said, really? Love? She said, yeah, and loving each other. Love and loving each other. Kids see a pretty um, uncomplicated world. And it probably is simpler than we make it out to be. As Matthew prayed during worship this morning, may we love each other the way that God loves us. We have two paths. Make room for the Spirit to have life and peace. Make room for love to be truly happy. Open our hearts instead of our mouths. Be filled up with substance. Trust the Spirit and let it work. Let go. Let's pray. Lord, we desire to walk in the Spirit. We desire to please you. And we know we cannot do it on our own. Fix our minds and our thoughts to your will so that we will hear your whispers and live our full life.